Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, it is so good to have you with us today. You can go ahead and take your seats, make, you feel, make yourself feel relaxed and at home. We are about to jump into a new series next week, actually, but today is Life Group Sign Up Sunday. And uh, some of you might already be thinking, like, Life Group Sign Up Sunday? What the heck is that? Like, what is that all about? Well, I'm just going to put my cards right on the table, right from the jump, right from the off, and just say, hey, today we're going to be telling you exactly why we as a church do life groups. And then at the very end of the service, just so that like nobody feels like we've taken you by surprise, we're going to ask every single one of you to sign up for a life group. So this is a really great day in the life of church. And especially for those of you who are in the room, but also for those of you who are joining us online, it's amazing to have you with us. You are just as much part of our church family as everybody that's gathered here. It's been mentioned earlier, actually, that we kind of um, put most of our energy and most of our efforts as a church into just trying to do two things really well, big Sundays and small groups. Now, the reality of it is, is that we could do a whole bunch of other stuff, but that's what we feel we're best placed to do in our city, in our region. Like, let's just focus on doing two things and try and do them to the very best of our ability, like big Sundays and small groups. In fact, we kind of see this, what we're all experiencing right now, the Sunday celebration, the Sunday service of church. We see this as being like, it's the, it's the huddle before the game, before everybody goes to go out and play life Monday to Friday. Friday. This is where we all get together first and get inspired and get encouraged. And then we go and play life in the week. But we don't want your fellowship of Jesus to solely be about your connection into the life of a church based on only big Sundays, because we want to get you connected into a small group as well. And you know what? We actually get a bit of stick sometimes. People say, man, you should be doing loads more as a church. Like you need to have a ministry for this, you need a men's ministry, a women's ministry, a feed the poor ministry, help the homeless ministry, you need to be doing a drop off ministry, you need an after school club, you need a nursery, you need a food. Like people tell us all the time, like you should be doing so much more, like you need to be be like ramming the calendar. And we just don't feel like that that's the most efficient and effective way of doing church. We just kind of feel like, man, we'd be so better off and best place as a church when it comes to helping people. Like, let's just find the heroes in our city that are already helping people and help them, That those that have already got the people, the structure, the systems in place so that we don't have to try and recreate the wheel and pretend like we're something that we're not. At the end of the day, we're a church, guys, and we want to help people. But the best way to help people is often by partnering with others that are doing it in our city. So for those of you who might be used to, well, I've used to be at a church and we to do a whole lot more. Like, I'm going to let you know, like, we're, we're probably not going to be that church. We don't see it as being a thing. Like, we're just going to grow into doing more and asking more and wanting more of your time and more volunteers for this. We just don't see that as being who we are. But this is what we do see. We see us being completely committed to doing Sundays to the very best as we possibly can. And if we do that, hopefully it will increase your confidence in your inviting of people in your world to come and be a part of what you call church home every single weekend. And then secondly, small groups. 
Because we all know, right, that you can learn in a row, but you only grow in a group. So we wanna see the small group element of our church thrive and flourish in the same way that our Sunday expressions do too. But it's not like we're just doing this because we think it's a good idea. Like we think that this is the biblical model that's dictated to us from Scripture. Because when you read the book of Acts, which is all about like the early church, what you see is they kind of did two things. Firstly, they did temple worship. That was when they would meet once a week in a great big temple, like a church, and that they would study the Scriptures together, collectively, and they would all be a part of it. And it's where they would be inspired and they would be encouraged and hopefully led to a place of being able to believe that change in your life is really possible. But then what they did in partnership with temple worship was it says that they did house-to-house ministry. In other words, they traveled from home to home and they would try and um, develop these relationships with other people that were all part of the temple worship on a weekend. And yet in a small group, they would try and pray together and understand more about who God is and the reasons why we follow God. And it was just like a great way. You know, statistically, and I'm not gonna kind of bore you with all the details because I've done that in a few messages recently, But like the bottom line is, for our society, like in the West, in the UK, even in our city, like loneliness is just on the up. It's massive. Most people will now kind of say and give this sentiment out of they feel like they're often doing life alone. And I just don't want that to be the narrative of your life. Like I really passionately believe that if you're a part of Liverpool One Church, you don't have to do life alone. If you do, it's your choice, but you don't have to. The bottom line is, is that we don't want that to be the the narrative of your life. We want you to feel like you've got friends like family. Because I know that it's a problem in your life in the same way it is in mine when you haven't got friends like family. I know that it's a problem because even the very first issue in the Bible, in all of the Scriptures, is not what we think. We think that the Bible is this book that like talks loads about sin and how God's angry and God wants to like chastise us for all the stuff that we've done wrong. But actually, that's not the case at all. The Bible, this compilation of ancient documents and manuscripts that have been compiled together in the formulation of what we now refer to as the Bible, is actually, it's a book about a loving God who gave his one and only son to say, I really want a relationship with you. And I really want to make it possible for you to know who I really am. And actually, the first issue in the Bible was not sin. You know, the devil was not even introduced to us until chapter three of the first book of the Bible. In Genesis one and two, there's no mention of Satan. In Genesis three, we have a little bit of a mention of Satan and about how there's evil in the world. But in Genesis one and two, it talks about how God created the skies, the stars, the sea, you and I. And yet he looks in Genesis two and says, but there's a problem. And the problem is that as he looked upon Adam, he said, well, it's just not good for man to be alone. The problem was not sin, it was solitude. It was solitude, which is the issue, it's the problem. In fact, Solomon, who was the wisest man to have ever lived outside of Jesus, writes this in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil. Like this is Solomon. He was wise He had money. He was the wealthiest man around. People would travel all over to hear his wisdom. He had servants. He had slaves. I mean, he even had, check this, 
He even had over 100 wives. I mean, like, how, how did he do that? I don't mean how did he get married. I mean, how did he do that? 100 wives. I heard a student once ask a, um, a theological lecturer and say, why do you think that he had over 100 wives? And the lecturer just responded and said, I think he was just hedging his bets so that when he was coming home from work, he would hope that at least one of them was in a good mood. I'm just saying, like, you know, hey, I'm only kidding with you. But this guy, like, he had a load of people around him, 100 plus wives. He had people that would travel from afar to sit at his feet and listen to his wisdom. He had money, he had business partners, he had the whole thing going on. And yet he writes that when he's all alone with no brother, no friendship circle going on, it feels to him like there's no end to his toil. He's connecting the lack of people to an increase of problems in his life. He's saying, in essence, when I don't have the right people around me, it feels like there's no end to my problems. That's an issue. It's a problem. That's solitude. You know, we're going to look in a moment to the passage or the book of John. And John's gospel is a little bit different to the other three gospels. So you might have heard of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three gospels. They're often referred to as the synoptic gospels. And they actually recount the event that we're going to take a big look at today from the book of John, which records the time in history when Jesus is about to have what was referred to as the Passover meal with a group of his disciples around a table. And it led to the Garden of Gethsemane, which then in turn led up to the crucifixion. But it's different, the book of John, in contrast to the other three. Because the other three books around this same event all kind of devote one chapter to it. But John's gospel gives us a whole nother level of just detail about what happened before, what was happening during the meal and what was happening immediately after. I mean, in fact, there are five chapters in the book of John that are dedicated to this one singular event, what happened before, during and after. And what's fascinating to me is that in these five chapters, there is this really strong relational theme that the writer is trying to convey to us about how, guys, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you're going to need people with you. But this whole event starts with a story that maybe some of you might have heard about. Just before this meal that was due to take place, what was customary at the time would be that when you arrived at the venue of the meal, there would be a guy who was at the door, and it was his responsibility to wash those that were attending the meal's feet. I mean, that's a bad job right there, isn't it? You do not want that job. Like, hey, what have you been doing today? Oh, I've been washing some real crusty, stinking feet. Like, that's just not a great job right there. But when they arrive at the venue and the disciples are all about to sit down, Jesus realises there's nobody at the door to wash their feet. So Jesus who was the rabbi, who was the religious leader, who was the one respected to be in the position of leadership and authority over those disciples, got down on his hands and knees and he decided that he was going to wash the feet of all the disciples. Now, this freaked the disciples out, especially one of them in particular. And I happen to have been studying this guy whose name is Peter for last week's message and I stumbled upon, upon this and it just kind of perfectly tied into this week's talk because Peter was the one that like, you know, he was so bold and brave in certain elements of his life. So when Jesus started to wash Peter's feet, Peter started to freak out and he literally turns around in John 13 and he's like, no, 
Like, I do not want you messing with my feet. Like, nobody touches my feet. I'm a little bit like that myself. Like, nobody comes near my feet. Like, you know, way ticklish. Do not touch my feet. Don't come near my feet. Like, that's what Peter was doing to Jesus. He was like, I don't want you having anything at all to do with my feet. But I think that there was a part of Peter that sort of realised, man, I don't want Jesus my leader, the one that I'm following, I don't want him messing around like with the dirt in between my toes where it's a bit stinky, where my heels are a bit cracked, where there's like grime under my toenails. I don't want that. Like, I don't need that in my life. Like, Jesus, no, you're not gonna be the guy that sees that part of my life that really is designed for nobody else to see. I don't want you to see that. But what's fascinating to me is what Jesus says in response to Peter's complaint in John 13, verse 8. And he basically makes this statement. He says, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part with me. It's almost like Jesus was saying to Peter, here's the deal. Like you can travel with me from town to town and you can see me do miracles and you can hear me teach in the temple. But unless you're willing to be authentic and real around me and amongst me and show to me the parts of your life that you're embarrassed about anybody else seeing, like the dirt, the cracks, the mess, the smell, unless you're willing to kind of be be open to that level of relationship, then, then we can't walk together. Then we can't do this together. And if I'm honest, I think that that problem is just as much a problem for us today in the church too. Like we love it when we come on a Sunday, we wear the I'm fine mask, But when it actually comes to letting people know, I'm not in a good place right now. Often what we'd rather do is never talk about that, never tell anybody about the struggles that we're wrestling with, the tensions that we're facing, the turbulence that's in our environment around us. We don't want people to do that. We don't want people to know that. And we're just trying to do the same thing that Peter was doing. He was like, no, no, nobody else needs to see those parts of my life that really aren't designed for anybody else to see. And Jesus was saying, yeah, but that's not, that's not what a real relationship is. A real healthy relationship is when, when you get to see all. So I guess that it's in light of the start of the events around that meal, why I now want to give you and convince you of five reasons why you should join a life group. I want to give you five thoughts about why I want to encourage you to the extent that at the end of today's service, that you're going to say, I'm willing to not only follow Jesus, but also be vulnerable and almost feel a little bit awkward. And I'm going to sign up to a life group. Even if you're an introvert, even if you feel like that's not what I do, that's the problem. It's because it's not what you do. It falls completely outside of the model that Jesus gives us. And I'm going to show you how and why that happens through those five chapters of the book of John. So the first reason why I would encourage you to join a life group and be a part of a small group is because you need the same thing that I need. You need someone to talk to your problems about. Like when you're sick, when you're sad, when you're facing something going on in your business, when you're facing redundancy, when there's something going on relationally, when you're struggling with your kids, when your environment in the culture and context of your life feels like this has got so out of hand, you need someone to talk to your problems with. And that's who your life group leaders are. That's who those that are in your life group can be. They can be that that army of brothers and sisters to get around you when it feels to you like your life is falling apart. You need someone to talk about your problems with. 
John 13, verse 12 through 15 says this. When he'd finished washing their feet, talking about the event that happened immediately prior to the meal, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your teacher, your Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I just want to give you a little caveat statement. Don't worry. No one's going to have to like undo their Air Max at Life Group this week, okay? No one's going to be getting a bucket out and the fairy liquid. Like that's not happening, I promise you. But he says, also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now remember, he's talking to those that have made a decision to follow Jesus. And in essence, what Jesus is saying here through this story is he's saying that there's got to be a group of people that you can care for in your life. And also there's got to be a group of people who you can go to when you need to be cared for in your life. You've got to be the caregiver and you need to learn the art of being a care receiver. Like it's okay for me to wash your feet, but then you've got to be willing to wash someone else's feet. Relationally, this is not about the physical washing of your feet. It's about being open and vulnerable and willing enough to say, okay, I'm willing to show you and talk to you about the awkward parts of my life that actually I would be embarrassed if anybody else knew. And what you often find is that when you reach out for care from somebody else concerning a problem, you know what you most often find? They turn around and they go, oh man, me too. Like I've been struggling with exactly the same thing too. I've not known how to deal with that. I went through the same thing with my son. I went through the same thing with my daughter. Yeah, I know what it's like to go and face redundancy, exactly like you are right now. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying like, you can't build a church that's willing only to have your feet washed or only be the washers of feet. You've got to be caregiver and care receiver. You need somebody to go to when it feels to you like your life is hitting the fan. He's saying, look, you need a bunch of people. And I can say this from my own experience, because I know how some of you think. Some of you think, well, you get to speak on the platform. Your life is perfect. No issues, no problems. You never deal with anything. And honestly, that is so far removed from what the actual truth is. Like personally, I am so incredibly grateful for a small number. And let me tell you, it's not a lot of people. It's a small group of guys that I've got in my world that help me when I'm struggling, when I've got something going on, who gather around me and help get me through whatever it is that I'm going through. Because I need this just in the same way as you need this. And what I found from experience is that when I've hit a place in my own life and it feels like my life is broken right now, it's fragile, everything feels turbulent, I don't know what my best options are, I don't know what I need to do. Do you know what I've found? When my life is in that place, the small number of guys, because it doesn't need to be a lot, because you don't need everybody, but you do need somebody, those small number of guys are the ones around me that help give me so much clarity. It's like their wisdom from being in a different perspective of being able to look upon my life is so helpful to me. Because when my life is broken and not working, I make stupid decisions. I don't make smart choices. And we're all the same in this. You need someone to talk through what the issues in your life actually are. That's why we do life groups. 
Life groups is the system that we have in our church to create an environment for you to be cared for. Because some people have this expectation that maybe like, I know what we'll do, Emma can care for everybody in the whole church. It's just not possible. Life groups is our system for how we as a church will care for you. But we don't do it because we think it's a good idea. It's a good idea because it's what Jesus talks about. It's a good idea because it's what Scripture talks about. In fact, Ecclesiastes verse 4 tells us this. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one there to help, then life is going to get really crazy tough. Or Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if one part suffers, then we all suffer. He was kind of saying, that's what a life group is like. When your life hits a problem, then everybody else jumps in to help out and bring relief and bring aid to fix whatever it is that you're going through. And during the times that you can't fix whatever it is that you're going through, then everybody jumps in and sits in the pit with you just saying, I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm not going anywhere. Like that's what we need to build and cultivate. And can I just say this? Can I just say that on behalf of just Emma and I especially, a big thank you to every single one of you life group leaders that makes this caregiving system possible in our church. Can we just give a great big round of applause to every single one of them? They're amazing. We love you guys. You make this whole thing work. The second reason why I would encourage you to join a life group is because you need someone to speak positively into your life. Even Jesus knew this. In Jesus 14, he kind of makes this statement, and we'll go there in just a moment, where he's kind of going like, look, I just need somebody to encourage me. I need somebody to say to me, come on, you can do this, let's go again. I just need somebody to encourage me, give me a pick-me-up, speak some positivity in my life. You know, for as long as we've, you know, kind of like been married and our children have played sports and stuff, like most Saturdays, that tends to be what my world has evolved around, like the kids' football. And one of the things that I don't feel like I've ever been any different in, but I've learned that there's, there's always two types of parent on the line, right? So when you're watching football, and if you see your son's team concede a goal, go a goal down, go a goal behind, maybe one goal, maybe two goals, there's always two types of parents. There's one parent, <laughs> there's one type of parent, we're not gonna say names, but there's one type of parent, and literally what they do is that you concede a goal and then they start to criticise. And they start to say, well, you should have done better. And they start to say, well, you should never have passed it there. And they start to say, you should have saved that, you should have stopped that. And then there's another type of parent, which I hope that I have always been, is that we concede a goal and straight away, it's like, come on, boys, we go again. Come on, boys, we can do this. Hey, come on, let's get our battle on. We go again, let's not stop. We can pull this back. And in the same way that young boys playing football need that in their sporting life, we're no different in our fellowship of Jesus. You need people around you that's saying, hey, now's not the time to quit, boys. Let's go, we can do this. We can get a result. I know it feels terrible right now, but you can do it. You need positivity being spoken into your life. John 14 verse one tells us, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He was saying, look, there's gonna be so many times, the opportunity is gonna be there, it's gonna be real, where you feel like, man, I, I, it'd be so easy for me to be overwhelmed by life right now, just discouraged. 
Like something crazy has happened in work. I've got this thing going on with the kids. Jesus was like, yeah, I totally get it and I totally understand it. And you need to know that there is people around you that can encourage you. They can lift up your spirits. That's why we do life groups. Hebrews 3.13 tells us this. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words, he's saying, look, make sure there's people around you that can encourage you so life doesn't get better of you, so that life doesn't end up taking you out because life's a struggle, life's a tension, life is difficult. Make sure that there are people in your inner circle and you don't need everybody, but you do need somebody that can speak words of positivity. That's what a life group is designed for. You can jump on a WhatsApp group, a Slack group, a text message and like let people know this is what I'm dealing with. And it's amazing how quickly life group leaders and other people come back straight away like, let me walk this journey with you. It's inspirational to me. So that was John 14. Now we move into John 15 and there is still this relational theme that's passing through all of these chapters of scripture. Point three would be this. You need someone to partner with. The conversation continues and Jesus kind of makes it clear that you're just not as effective on your own as you could be or would be if only you would partner with the right people. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. He's like, you need someone in your world, not everybody, but you need somebody with whom you can partner with. John 15 verses four to five tells us this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. In other words, no branch is gonna give off anything good. Nothing's gonna grow in a healthy way if it lives in isolation as an island on its own all of the time. It must remain in the vine. Neither can bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, the truth is, is that if you want to make a real difference in the world, and I believe that many of you do, then you're never going to make that difference if you do life alone. You're never going to make that difference if you do life on your own. And Jesus was making that point. It's like, if you want good things to grow off the tree of your life, then it's going to need partnership. It's going to need some people around you who are on the same page with whom you can align your life with and go and achieve something together. You need partnership. You know, recently as a church, we have been absolutely honoured because we've had the privilege of getting really practically hands-on in terms of helping way in excess of 150 Afghanistan children who have arrived in the UK as refugees, many of whom don't even have parents, many of whom have lost parents as a result of the Taliban. And what happened was we partnered with an organisation called Bridge2. Now, what the crazy story is this, the moment that we came on board and started to partner with them financially, like pump money into them, and also they said, look, we've got these 150 kids, we've got nothing for them. What we need is some way of entertaining them. We have no activities, nothing to do. We literally said, we can fix that, we can sort that, we can resolve that. So we spent a ton of money and got a load of stuff taken to this site, which is really secure. It's a non-disclosed location in Liverpool. We're not even allowed 
allowed to tell you where it is. There's security around it because as crazy as it sounds to me, and I'm sure it does to you too, but how absurd is it that in 2021, there are people in our nation, right, that are not happy about refugees coming into our country who are kids. I mean, that is absurd to me. I count it an honour and a privilege that the UK is my home. Man, can you believe we get to help these people? Can you believe that we have an environment and a security level and a social standing around other countries that we can take refugees? That's fantastic in my opinion. But their location is having to be kept really under wraps because there are massive concerns that something bad, something crazy can happen to them from people with mad radical right-wing views. So we're trying to respect that. And on one hand, it's kind of hard for us because we want to be able to show you videos and show you where your money's been going and show you what you've been doing. And right now we can't. But let me just tell you how kind of cool this got for us that we were able to help Bridge2 so much with the 150 children that they've got in their care. They put a call in and they asked to see whether it would be possible now for them to take any other children from other areas of the UK that were not able to be supported in the way that Bridge2 were able to support them. So you know what they did? They took another 150 kids to care for and look after them. And you guys made that possible. Like you were the ones that like were right in the thick of that. Let me tell you, right? You can't do as much on your own when you partner with people and say, we're on mission, we're on course to achieve something. For the good, we can do so much more together. You know, we can talk about how the Scriptures will refer to two being better than one, and we know that, and Ephesians 2 tells us something interesting. It says that for we are God's workmanship. Notice it doesn't say for you are God's workmanship. It says we are. Like when we together put our energy, effort, resource, we become God's workmanship. It's not about you on your own. It's about when you partner with a group of people, you can achieve way more than you could ordinarily accomplish on your own. Like that's why we partner. And my prayer is this, as we sign up to life groups tonight, that you understand that we are partnering together to build a local church, to expand the kingdom of God, to really be about everyone. That's who we are. That's why we exist. And that's what we're here for. The fourth reason why I think you should join a life group is that when you're part of a life group, you will find that people will protect you. Chapter 16 is a conversation that happens at the dinner table. There's Jesus and the disciples. And the bottom line is, is that Jesus starts to talk in such a way that makes us think that he knows something that we're only getting onto now. He starts to talk in such a way that encourages us to believe that actually you need people that have got your back. Like when you stand back to back with just one other person, you can see 360 degrees. Whereas if you stand on your own, you you can only see as far as you can see. But the moment that you partner with another group of people, what you find is that those same group of people will protect you. They will stand back to back with you. They can help you see things that you would never see coming in your life. Verse 16 says this, and all of this I've told you so that you will not fall away. Another translation uses the word astray. You won't fall astray. That word astray, it's kind of rooted in another word that means scandal. It's kind of saying that when you do life with other people, they protect you from the scandals in life. It means that you're not always moving from drama to drama, from problem to problem, flying through turbulent air all of the time. Being around the right people will see them protect your life. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 2 tells us that though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
I see life groups almost like, I don't know, maybe I'm showing my age here, but did anybody grow up and on your estate, you had like the neighborhood watch signs on the lamppost and the deal was always like, you know, I can just remember like all these little white and red signs going up and we're part of a neighborhood watch now. And basically what it meant was, if you go to Asda and, and you're not in, then I'm gonna watch your house so that you don't get burgles. You know, that was the kind of deal. Like we're all part of this neighborhood watch. Uh, I kind of see life groups as being the neighborhood watch for your life. It means that when you're not making the best decisions or the wisest choices, or maybe there's a blind spot in your life that you just can't see coming, there's a train coming and it's gonna take you out. When you're part of a life group, it means that there are people around you that can protect you from that. They can see a burglar about to enter your home and they're gonna let you know. Like that's what it means to be protected because the bottom line is you don't need everybody, but you do need a somebody. Like if you're the only one that knows your secrets, you're in trouble. Like if you're the only one that knows what you're really dealing with on the inside, like you're in trouble. Like it's gonna hurt you, it's gonna cause a crash, there's gonna be a wreckage coming. You don't need to tell everybody, but you do need to tell somebody. The fifth and final thing is this. You need people in your life, people that will pray for you and that you can pray for. This is why we do life group. Jesus in John chapter 17 he had so much pressure on him because he knew of everything that was about to come his way. It got so pressured that he actually started to, 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 to sweat blood from his forehead. I mean, that's how pressured life got for Jesus. And then what it actually tells us in John's gospel is not only that Jesus prayed, but it tells us how he prayed, which is kind of interesting to me. So John 17, verse one, it tells us, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So we know that he prayed. But then in verse nine, it tells us what he prayed. It tells us that I pray for them, meaning the disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but those you have given me, for they are yours. It's interesting, isn't it? that Jesus, in his biggest, greatest hour of need, decides not to pray for the world, but pray for his disciples. It's almost like Jesus knew, I don't need to pray for the world, but I can just pray and look after and care for my disciples in the hope that maybe one day they will change the world. And I think that that's what a life group does. It means that your life group leaders aren't gonna be praying for the whole church, the whole world, the country, the county, but they are committed to daily praying over you. Like they're praying for you and your family and your job and your children and your stuff. They're praying for you. So I want you to know if you ever feel like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm doing life on my own and I don't know what to do about it. When you become part of a life group, your life group leaders pray over you daily because that's what Jesus did. He was like, I don't need to pray for the world. I need to pray for those that are closest to me right now. I need to pray for their protection. I need to be able to pray that when I'm not here, that they're gonna be okay. Your life group leaders do that. And Emma and I and our leadership team here in the church, we do that daily for our life group leaders and our ministry team leaders. We pray over them every single day. Because I do know this, we can make a real difference in our world when we're healthy, when we're balanced, when we're stable. Ephesians 6 tells us this. It says that prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray, pray hard, pray long, and pray for your brothers and sisters. And this is such a big deal for me because can we just make it real for a moment? Because some of you mums 
Like you've got young kids right now, you know the stress is real, you know the pressure is real. It's like broken sleep, how do you get them to eat? How do you get them to feed? How do you get them ready on time? Like it's just unrelenting and sometimes you feel like just a little bit, I'm just not supported. I want you to know when you're part of a life group, even a mum and baby life group that happens here every single Wednesday, that you are prayed for, that you are covered in prayer. That for some of you dads, right? You know of the pressure and the tension of what it's like to, to make ends meet and you're always juggling one thing and juggling the next and you're onto that project, onto this thing. You've got a job list that's coming out of your ears and you feel often underappreciated like nobody knows what's going on and what you do just to keep the family going. I want you to know that when you're part of a life group, you're prayed for and you're covered in prayer. When you're a student and you're like overwhelmed with a dissertation, a project, an exam, you're prayed for, you're covered in prayer which is really what we all need. So our prayer for life groups is that it becomes to us the same thing that a guy called Moses experienced in the Old Testament. There's this story where this guy Moses, he's like involved in leading the entire nation of Israel. And there's this account that talks about how when his arms are held up, everybody that was fighting in the battle, they were winning and they were victorious and they were strong and they were getting the victory. But as he started to get tired, and as his body started to wane and the stress and the pressure and his arms would start to fall down, the Israel would start to lose the victory and start to lose the battle and they would experience defeat. And Moses' arms got so tired that at one point, two men, it didn't need everybody, it just needed somebody, two men, Moses and her, they came alongside him and, and literally Aaron goes, I'm gonna hold one arm up for you, Moses. So you can just, we're gonna shift this boulder right in front of you and you can just sit down and I've got you, bro. And her came up on the other side and he said, you just relax. You can just, just unwind for a moment. Like we've got you, you're held in this moment. And that whole picture of how when there are just two people holding up your arms that then sees your life get strong and healthy and victorious again is the picture of a life group and what having relational connection in a local church really looks like. It means that when you feel like quitting and letting the arms drop, your brothers and sisters in Christ get right alongside you and say, no, not on our watch. We've got you, we're with you. Don't quit, don't stop, keep going. That's the power and the strength of relational connection in a life group. You see, this was the guy that could split the Red Sea, but he couldn't even hold his own hands up. Like, isn't that us? Like we're winning on so many levels, but then there's always a something, a one thing, and your thing is never the same as the next person. Like someone else is struggling over here, someone else is struggling over there. It's kind of like you can have accomplishments coming out of your ears. Like Moses, the guy could split the Red Sea and not even hold up his own arms. That's me, that's you. We win in many areas, but in other areas, we just need people to come alongside us and say, I've got you back. You're not going down on my watch. And if you feel like your hands, hands and arms are gonna drop and tire, I'm gonna come right alongside you. I'm gonna pick you up until your life is winning again. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.